This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a very good Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you. And to spend some time talking about the Parsha, talking about values that are important to us, talking about that which makes our life so much more uplifting, special, and meaningful. And what a time of the year it is. This year is a leap year. We have two months of Adar, Mishanichnas Adar Marben Bismcha. When the month of Adar comes along, we have to increase our level of joy. Instead of having only 30 days of great joy, this year we have 60 days of great joy. And joy, of course, Simcha, of course, is not merely an expression of, well, external happiness. It is a far deeper concept. It's a sense of knowing, a sense of clarity, a sense of certainty. Our Chazal, our sages, tell us that there is no greater simcha than the removal of doubt. Doubt is confusion. Confusion brings about frustration, destruction. Clarity enables us to go forward with a sense of purpose, with a sense of knowing what we have to do, what we want to do, what we have to accomplish, with a sense of knowing where we come from and where we are going to. And this is the month of Adar. The month of Adar is that time of the year that Marbim Basimcha, we have to increase that type of clarity and certainty. It's not something which comes automatically necessarily. It has to be achieved. It has to be worked for. But in actual fact, if we approach it carefully, we will have that clarity. And where do we get that clarity from? We get the clarity from the Torah itself. The wisdom of Torah Torah is that which teaches us how to behave, what to do, and this gives us clarity. And certainly in the world that we live today, the world that we live today is so confused. There are so many ideas out there, so many attitudes out there, many of them destructive, many of them unhealthy, many of them simply not good for young or old. And this is where Torah comes in. Torah tells us how to select, how to choose, how to recognize that which is proper, that which is good. And this is the simcha that we have during the month of Adar, the clarity, the purpose, knowing where we're going and why we're doing what we have to do. And this is why when we study the Parsha during this time, we have to think about that underlying concept of clarity and purpose, of certainty and purpose. We have to think about what in fact the Parsha is saying to us, what it's teaching us, but at the same time, how it also connects with the time of the year, how it also connects with that dimension of clarity and certainty. And we'll talk about that a bit later on. The Parsha is Terumah. Terumah simply translated means, well, contribution, donation. We are going to talk about building the Mishkan, building the tabernacle, building the tabernacle in the wilderness, the house of God. And in order to do that, all sorts of, well, all sorts of things were needed. There was gold and silver and copper precious gems and and wonderful fabrics, all sorts of things were needed in order to build the temple. And how does it begin? It begins with the idea of God speaking to the Jewish people and telling them, You shall take for me a contribution, a donation, something that you have to give. And then the Parsha goes on how to build the temple, how to build the Mishkan, how to build this temporary structure in the wilderness coming and going with the Jewish people and how to build all the various vessels that were contained within the holy ark that held the uh, tablets, the Aseret HaDibrot, the Ten Commandments, the table, the Shulchan, the candelabrum, the menorah, the small altar within 
the holy area, the large altar outside for the animal offerings. And basically what this parsha talks about is building a house for God. Now that's a very complicated concept, building a house for God. God, after all, is the ultimate sense of everything. And therefore, what kind of house? In fact, the prophet says, you know, what, you know, you reach from the highest levels to the lowest levels. God, you're infinite. What kind of house can we build for you? And yet God instructs the Jewish people, you shall make for me a dwelling place and I will dwell among you. You shall make for me Migdash, a holy place, Migdash, a place of great sanctity where the presence of the divine can be seen and felt in a revealed sort of way. This is an instruction that God gives the Jewish people. And not only does God give this to the Jewish people, but he gave it to them at a very important time in their development as a people. In a couple of weeks, we're going to read the very tragic story of the Egel Hazav, the golden calf, the Jewish people who made a terrible mistake. And instead of waiting for Moshe to come down from heaven and to continue to lead them, they were confused. They were, well, they were uncertain as to the exact date and time. And they built themselves a golden calf, an idol. And they said, you shall be our leader. And it was a moment of great tragedy for the Jewish people, a moment of great tragedy because, in a sense, it was a denial of the experience that they had before. They stood at Sinai. They received the Torah. They said, na, semen, ishma, we will do, we will devote ourselves with a tremendous sense of application to your commandments, and we will study, we will do whatever is necessary. And yet, 39 days later, 40 days later, they're dancing around the golden calf. And when we get to that parsha, we'll talk about it. But it was a moment of great tragedy because the Jewish people, in a sense, lost their faith. The Jewish people lost their faith in God, lost their faith in Moshe, and resorted to, a well, a golden calf, as if a golden calf was able to lead them and to watch over them and to take them to the place where they had to go. And yet this is precisely what happened, and God became very angry, understandably so. Here is a people that God takes care of so intimately. He takes them out of slavery. He brings them to Sinai. He sends down manna from heaven. He surrounds them with the clouds of glory that protects them against the elements, against enemies. They are living the most magical, perfect life. And yet they turn against God. How is this possible? And God says, this is the end. I cannot continue with this people. And Moshe, in his legendary way, appeals to God and asks them to forgive the people. They made a mistake. It was whatever it was. But you have to forgive them. Initially, God refuses to do that. But after a while, after Moshe pleads his case, Moshe as a leader caring, concerned about his people, making sure that his people will be taken care of and protected, God listens to them and he forgives them. And this act of forgiveness was not only an act of forgiveness in a sense, in a spiritual sense, in an abstract sense, it was... In a sense, God said, now you can make the Migdash for me, now that you can make the temple for me. Making the temple was an indication that God truly forgave the Jewish people. They did Teshuvah, they repented, and he forgave them. And building the temple 
was something that was going to indicate God's reconnection with the people on a far more intimate and powerful level. God said, because, well, you are my people, you made a mistake, I forgave you, and now I'm going to indicate that this forgiveness is going to have a practical expression. I'm going to let you build a temple for me. It's not only building a house for God, but it's a building a house for God as tremendous testimony to the fact that even though we made a terrible mistake, nonetheless God forgives us. And in that act of forgiveness, we are elevated to a higher level. We speak about the Baal Teshuvah, the one who returns, the one who has been lost and confused in a state of all sorts of chaos and he comes back, he regrets the negative elements of his life and he undertakes to live a life of purpose of clarity. And this act of Teshuvah, God forgiving us consequently, is something which elevates the individual to a far higher level. In fact, some of the sages talk about that even the tzaddik, the pious, righteous man, cannot occupy the space of the Baal the one who repents with a sense of sincerity, with a sense of great devotion. And what is the symbol, what is the indicator that God, in fact, forgave the Jewish people fully and totally, as I said, it wasn't something abstract. It wasn't something that was merely said in words, even though divine words are powerful indeed. It's something which came about in the practical expression of building the temple. God says, You will build for me a holy place where my divinity can rest among you. And that's a powerful statement. We'll talk about what in the fact it actually means. And all of this comes in the Parsha of Terumah, in the Parsha of contribution, in the Parsha of giving something, the Parsha of somehow doing something that indicates that I am prepared to take something which is precious to me and to share it for a higher purpose. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the Parsha of Terumah. We're talking about building the temple, a house for God, a place where God can dwell. We're talking about how, in fact, this was a great and glorious moment because it indicated the fact that God forgave the Jewish people. But before that, here is a word from the marketplace. Pick and pay Norwood Hyper have these pocket saving specials just for you. And listen carefully. Pick and pay. Kosher Ukral Vors. Per kilo is sizzling at seventy nine ninety nine per kilo. Pick and pay kosher roasted barbecue chicken are a sizzling ninety two ninety nine per kilo. Pick and pay kosher bottomless brisket is mouth watering at only one forty nine ninety nine per kilo. Pick and pay kosher chocolate ginger slab cakes are sweet at only nineteen ninety nine each. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood, the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. We're talking about the parish of Truma, and listen carefully to the words that God says to Moshe, words that, well, we take it for granted means I want the Jewish people to contribute to make sure that they build this house for God in the most proper way and contribute all the requirements that were necessary, everything that was needed to build the house for God. And he says to them, li truma, and they shall take for me Truma a contribution 
tithe, a gift, a donation, call it what you will. But the word be means they shall take from me. He doesn't say you shall give me, says God. Ve'yitnali, they should give me. But ve'yikhuli, they should take for me. Now, while, of course, some commentaries indicate that perhaps this portion is talking to those tax collectors, those agents that went around collecting and fetching all those elements that were necessary, the gold, the silver, the copper, etc., etc. But what does it really mean when God says, not the yitnuli they shall give me, but the yikhuli they shall take for me? What's the difference between giving and taking? Giving is something of yours that you give to someone else. Taking is taking that which is your own. What is God saying to the Jewish people? What God says to the Jewish people, before you can actually contribute, before you actually give, you have to consider the following. You have to think about what, in fact, the act of giving is all about. And not only because charity has to be done in a proper way, etc., etc., it goes far deeper than that. What God is saying, in truth, everything is ultimately mine. I gave you everything. I gave you the blessing. I gave you these physical things so that you can enjoy. I gave you whatever you have. I gave you these things. And what I'm asking you is to take a portion of that which I gave you and equally take it back for me to give me a part of that which I have given you. Now, when a person thinks that he's giving charity, I've worked very hard, and I've earned all this money, and now, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to share, I'm going to contribute X amount, whether to some charitable need, to building the temple, whatever the case might be. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great act. But at the same time, there is a selfish dimension connected to it. It is mine, and I am giving you some of that which belongs to me. However, if you take a look at all your worldly possessions and you begin to realize and understand that everything belongs to God and what he is telling you is give a portion of that which is truly God's anyways and give it back to him, your whole understanding of giving, of contributing changes dramatically. It takes on a completely different dimension. Instead of being, well, I'm doing something from the goodness of my heart, I'm going to give you something. I recognize and realize that God is master, creator of heaven and earth, the one from whom all benevolence comes, all goodness comes, everything belongs to him, and he has entrusted these things. He has put it into my trust. He gave it to me as a gift to look after and watch, and he asks me to return a portion of that to him, to his causes, to build a house for God, to give it to charitable purposes. It's an altogether different dimension of giving. It's not giving something which is mine. It's simply returning something which belongs to God. And this is the very first instruction in terms of building a house for God. Building a house for God is not merely contributing the necessary products, the gold, the silver, the copper, the diamonds, the precious gems, the wonderful fabrics. It wasn't only that. It was a recognition that the world belongs to God. And what we are going to do is to create a space, to create a dimension within God's creation where his presence can be revealed fully. 
It's not that I'm simply putting together a building, a structure, that each and every one of us, the entire community comes together and we all put something in and we make a house for God. No. It is an understanding that everything belongs to God, but God is hidden in this world. And by my act of returning that which belongs to God anyways, I am revealing the presence of God. And this is why the word truma, the word truma, of course, means contribution, giving, but it goes deeper than that. It's an act of elevation, an elevation that comes about as a result that I realize that God created everything. And when I take this particular object and return it to God, it's because I recognize God exists in the world. And because God is not visible in the world, my act of giving indicates that my intention is to reveal the presence of God in this world. That's the first stage in making a house for God. When God says later on, You shall make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among you. It's not as if we're making this house for God in our little world. We are indicating through the fact that we are giving every everything to God, returning those things to God. This is an indication that God exists in the world, and this reveals the presence of God in the world. Because building a house for God is not merely making a structure. Yes, of course it is. Yes, in a simple sense, in a very, well, almost shallow sense, it's precisely that. But in a deeper sense, it is an act which indicates that God is master, creator, and controller of heaven and earth. It's a demonstration, an expression of showing that God is owner of everything. And what we are doing is creating a space where his revealed presence can, in fact, reside. And while, of course, this is not an easy task, it's something which takes tremendous effort, the fact remains Torah tells us precisely how we can do it. And what is the operative term? Ve'yitnuli is not used, but ve'yikluli you shall take for me. Ve'yitnuli, I'm sorry, is the term. We don't say give, but return to God that which belongs to him. When a person wakes up in the morning, opens his eyes, and he realizes that his very existence, his health, the breath that he takes is a gift from God. He woke from a deep sleep, and God revived his soul. When a person goes to sleep at night and he says, in your hands I entrust my soul. When a person trains himself on a daily, regular basis to recognize the presence of God in the world, that God is creator of heaven and earth, it becomes an altogether different type of act when I want to build a house for God. Because what I am doing is opening a space where the revealed presence of God can be felt and seen. Yes, of course, God exists everywhere. God is creator of heaven and earth. God brings everything into being. And as creator of heaven and earth, he is master and controller of heaven and earth. But we live in a world called Olam, hiddenness, a world of uncertainty, a world of confusion, a world that does not see clarity. But by recognizing God as master and creator of heaven and earth, I am bringing clarity into this world. I am bringing clarity into my life. It's not as if I have to give X percent of that which I've earned. I have to give it to a charitable purpose, to a higher purpose. No, 
I realize that everything that I have is a gift from God and everything that I have is owned by God and everything that I have is in fact His and what I am doing is simply taking a portion that he asked for and returning. There is no greater clarity than that. And in a sense, there's no greater joy than that. The realization that God allows me, he empowers me, he enables me to be part of this great journey to somehow take that which is his and to return it to him and thereby bring about a revelation a revelation of godliness within a certain space. This is an act of clarity. This is an act of joy. This is an act of great recognition. And this is why building a house for God is not an ordinary thing. Building a house for God is not merely building a house for God, because God says, I will dwell among you, all of you, that each and every one of you has the capacity not only to build this magnificent structure, the Mishkan, the tabernacle that traveled with the Jewish people through the wilderness, but you can create within yourself this dwelling place for God. You can have that revealed sense of consciousness about the divine presence. And this is something which a great gift. It takes effort. It takes a sense of giving. It takes a sense of sharing. It takes a sense of honesty and humility to recognize that everything belongs to God. But in so doing, what you are in actual fact creating is a space within yourself as well that becomes a dwelling place for God. Your mind, your heart begin to understand and feel the presence of God. There is an element of revelation, and there is no greater joy than that. We live in a world where basically we respond to our senses, and very often that's where it begins and that's where it ends. I enjoy this, I enjoy that, I like the taste of that, I like that, whatever it is. But in actual fact, that is a very superficial form of existence. When a person understands and knows and truly feels the presence of godliness in what he is doing, how his entire life is guided by the presence of God, how his entire life is guided by the teachings of God. This enables one to develop a far greater sense of purpose, of meaning, of structure, of devotion. This is the equally truma you shall take from me. You shall recognize that everything is mine. And in so doing, you will create a dwelling place. You will create a revealed dimension of godliness in the world. You will create within yourself that revealed dimension as well. And as mentioned before, this is so much part of the Adar experience, to increase, to intensify our dimension of joy by working at developing these ideas, these attitudes, these dimensions within our own life. And this is why this Parsha is a pivotal Parsha. It's not only a tremendous dedication and demonstration of God, that he has forgiven his people for the sin of the golden calf, and they can build a dwelling place for him. It is an indication that man is able to work at revealing the presence of God in the world, both for the Mishkan, the tabernacle that traveled with the Jewish people through the wilderness, and also within himself as well. More of that. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. 
We're talking about building a house for God. We're talking about building a house for God as a structure, a physical structure. And we're talking about building a house for God within ourselves and the materials that were needed in order to build this house and in necessary for the people to understand that in order to give properly, one is not giving something away that belongs to us, but rather returning something that actually belongs to God. And when a person does that, it creates within him not only a sense of knowing, a sense of recognition, a sense of purpose, but a sense of clarity, a sense of clarity that is connected with the idea of joy, with the idea of true simcha, as our sages tell us, no greater joy than the removal of doubt. When we live in a world of uncertainty, when we live in a world and we don't see the revealed presence of God, we see the darkness of the world, we see the chaos of the world, we see the confusion of the world, we see the uncertainty of the world, that ends in a sense of frustration and defeat. But when we have a certain amount of clarity, when we have a certain amount of certainty, then we are looking at the world altogether differently, but with a sense of hope, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of joy. But it goes deeper than that as well. Our sages tell us that the greatest moment in history, of course, was when God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, and yet... A short while later, a month later, 40 days later, they're dancing around the golden calf. How is this possible? And one of the answers is because it was a gift from God. It was not something that we necessarily worked for. It's not necessarily something that we achieved on our own. It was something which God gave us. And therefore, in a sense, it was something that was not truly developed within our own structures. It's not something that we received internally and permanently. And this is why it was a great moment, a great demonstration of God's revelation in the world. But it went, and the mountain remained a plain mountain. However, when building the house for God, that becomes a permanent structure. When building a house for God, that becomes something that we do, that we have built, that we have contributed to, that we have developed and worked through. We have elevated. We have refined. We ourselves have accomplished that, and that is something which remains with us for a long time. It's like the difference between somebody who actually studies and does a test and somebody who simply crams the night before. The one who simply crams the night before a couple of days later, he's forgotten most of what he's crammed. Whereas the person who has truly studied, it has become part and parcel of his brain, of his mind, and therefore it's something that he retains for a very, very long time. The Mishkan indicates that as a result of our own effort, as a result of our teshuva, our repentance, as a result of the fact that we have worked at looking at the world and making this world a revealed presence for godliness, recognizing his ownership, recognizing his creation, we understand that this is something that we do. We give of our gold, we give of our silver, we give of our efforts, of our expertise. We build something. Our sages tell us that a person would rather have one portion of that which he has made himself rather than nine portions of that that was given to him by somebody else free and without any effort whatsoever. Because something which comes without effort leaves very quickly as well. Something which comes without effort is not something which is permanent. A person has to work at creating a tremendous sense 
of development, of exercise within himself. Make it your own. God gave us that power. God empowers us to make it our own. What is God saying? God is saying something extraordinarily incredible. He is saying, you can make a house for me. You can make a space. You can make a reality in which I can be found, a permanent space, and you will make it from physical things. This is the deep dimension of this week's Parsha. The mystics talk to us about how God takes the spiritual and from the spiritual he makes the physical and how he gave us the ability, he gave us the strength of taking the physical and transforming it into the spiritual. Yes, when we give the physical in a proper sort of way, when we give the physical as returning something to God, when we give the physical in a sense that indicates that this is part of God's great creation, we are taking the physical, the gold, the silver, the copper, and we are elevating it to a higher purpose, to a spiritual purpose. It becomes the material through which and by which we build a house for God. This is something which is unbelievable. The fact that man is able to do that, he is able to take something in his hand, he's able to take a physical object and doing it properly, with proper preparation and proper devotion, he elevates. This is the word truma. It's not only a contribution, it's an act of elevation. It's an act of refinement, an act of bringing something from a low level to a high level. You do it on your own so it remains with you forever and you elevate that which is beneath to a higher level. You change the world from the physical to the spiritual in a deeper sense. This is an incredible moment that God gave us. This is an incredible gift that God gave us. He gave us the ability of doing precisely that. So when you're in shul tomorrow, listen carefully because every single detail is important. Listen to the words that he says, and you shall take for me. In other words, return to me that which is mine, the recognition that everything is owned by God. Make for me a dwelling place. Take the physical objects of your life and elevate them, change them. Understand the purpose of the ark that contains the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Understand the beauty and structure and light of the menorah of the candelabrum, which brought tremendous spiritual light into the world. Understand the purpose of the shulchan, which held the showbread. Understand the purpose of the altar. Understand the structure of the temple. Understand how each and every single detail is given to us with precise instruction. This is the way it has to be made. Understand this is the way we have to work as well. Nothing is random. Nothing is accidental. We have to be exact in what we do so that this world, this space can become a revealed dwelling place for God. It's the Parsha of giving and the Parsha of elevating. Listen carefully to the Parsha and make this your own. Make this your own by recognizing the ownership of God. Elevate that which is around you and make the world indeed a greater and better place. Good Shabbos.